Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. So great to have you with us today. Hey, if you're just catching our show for the very first time, we are a sports entertainment show with a sports medicine niche. And what we do is we talk about what's going on in the sports medicine world. By that, I mean maybe injuries uh, to your favorite player, maybe an injury that's going to affect your favorite team. We talk about what's going on in the sports medicine world, but uh, I do that each week. And I do it with my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris got a great show planned today. I am excited, man, as usual. As usual, he is traveling the world as we speak, so he's all over the country. We never know where Ferris is because he is the sports broadcast for Grand Canyon, so he travels all the time, so he might be in Alaska tonight. I have no idea. That's how lucky we are to have you on the show. We're traveling everywhere, coming on the show. I'm a, a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Been doing the sports medicine gig for uh, nearly 25 years now. I've done it just about every different level, whether it's been uh, high school, college, weekend warrior, professional Olympics. I've done something at just about every sports medicine level you can imagine. Uh, we do love to make you part of our show as well, and you can do that by joining us either on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and join us each week. We'd love to be part of our show, and, man, we're one of the fastest-growing podcasts out there. We love that. And we also would like to have you be part of our show by going to our website, docsandjocks.com. That's D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And there you can contact us and bring in your question into the show or give us any comments about potentially further guests you might like to have on the show in the future. So we would love to have you be part of our show that way as well. You can do that by going to docsandjocks.com. Hey, Ferris, we are going to have some great guests on. We have our good friend on who's been on the show before here on Docs and Jocks, Homer Bush. Homer was a World Series champion with the New York Yankees in 1998, played in the big leagues for nearly a decade, and Homer's going to come on and talk a little about all the new trends uh, we've been seeing in early Major League Baseball this year, like the number one most hit batsman all time uh, in the early season and some of the crazy weather they've been having and all the strikeouts we've been seeing as well. So Homer Bush talking a little baseball, talking a little hitting, and then we're going to have on, as always, lovely Miss Tracy Mutton, our mental strength coach with the Edge Mental Strength, and she's going to come on and talk to us about how you can get better using your mental and sports psychology side of uh, your your uh, person to become a better athlete. And then we're very excited to have on uh, sports broadcaster Kevin Ray. He's been doing the TNT virtual reality NBA playoffs. We're going to talk a little NBA playoffs as well as he's a play-by-play radio broadcaster for your Dallas Cowboys. So we'll be talking about maybe uh, Ferris, a little Des Bryant talk possibly because uh, there's big breaking news about Something where going he, on there. Yeah, where he might be ending up and uh, who he might be getting and all those types oh, of things. Boy. So all that and more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We'll be right back right after this short commercial break. The Guy Talk, live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. <sighs> My girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips, it's good to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. Just watch. 
Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside the Forge Abilene Radio Studios. Great to have you join us. Remember, you can listen to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Subscribe there and listen to us anytime, anywhere. Join each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Hey, Ferris, I thought we could just jump right into the NBA playoffs. There's some sports medicine angles always in every story that I read. I read it with. I go through, I scour the news every week looking for the sports medicine angle to any story. And the NBA playoffs have a lot of them this year. One of the big ones I think that we see right now, and one of the kind of the Cinderella stories, if you want to call it that, is the Philadelphia 76ers realized two years ago, Ferris, they won 10 games. They were possibly the worst. I think they got ranked the worst franchise in all of major sports franchises they were that bad and they they were so bad that everybody was saying that like a really good college team could beat them well yeah we had that conversation with dan marley could kentucky two years ago beat the philadelphia 76ers of course dan marley was never forget these are grown dang men out here and they will (laughs) kick they will kick the uh, kentucky wildcats butt but the uh 76ers this year come out and they win 53 games they have a very good regular season they're the number three seed Going in the playoffs, they actually somehow, some way, end up winning a game with the, over the Miami Heat without their star center, Joel Embiid, who's been their MVP this year. And now we hear Joel Embiid says he was going to be out longer, and he says, nope, I want to get upgraded. I'm going to be probable, and he's going to try and play with a mask and goggles. It is interesting in my years of experience, Ferris, when you have a guy that comes in and I'm seeing him for an injury, if their team is tanking it, typically – the injury is perceived as season ending. If their team is on the rise and they are playing very, very well, suddenly there is a way inside their soul. They figure out how they can get back earlier, how they can help the team sooner. But there is something inside the psyche of people that says, if I'm on a team that's trying to win, I want to be part of that. And Joel Embiid embodies that this year. Now coming back with the Philadelphia 76ers after suffering a severe facial fracture, which included the orbit, which is the, the, the eye socket. He fractures that, has surgery on it. He's now going to try and come back, even though originally he was going to miss the first series. But he's now listed as probable for game three since they are tied, the 76ers, with the Miami Heat. Do you think, in your humble opinion, Ferris, after broadcasting for many, many years, that players tend to either overestimate or underestimate their injury based on how their team is doing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's based on how they play, actually. Yeah. If they play poorly, they're like, well, I had this injury. I didn't feel good, everything. If they play great, they're like, I, sometimes they'll even over overestimate if they play great. They'll be like, oh, man, I did this, and they overcame this. Um, I don't know. I like to see it. I mean, you, the guys who have an injury and then take a long time to come back from it or don't come back for it, I'm looking at you, Kawhi Leonard, um, <laughs> you kind of – you kind of look at him and go, does a guy Why? really care about winning? I know. A guy like Joel Embiid, you say, hey, look, I'm going to do anything I can to be on the court. We've been bad for so long, and I'm part of this rebuild. I'm part of the program that everybody said is going to work. It's starting to work. I want to get on the floor with my guys and see if we can make this thing happen and win a playoff round. It's an orbital fracture, by the way. In, in the scheme of all the big bad things out there, and there's a lot of bad things that happen in injuries. An orbital fracture is pretty high up on the list. When you're cracking the bone that holds your eye next to your brain, that's a pretty big, pretty severe injury. Not to minimize Kawhi Leonard's quad strain that he suffered, but it just seems as if this quad strain has now become like its own soap opera. It's like there's a drama down in San Antonio that we cannot figure out. How can this injury last that long? What possibly is going on? Tries to make a comeback. Can't. He basically misses the entire year, except I think, what, played nine games? 
and now missing the entire playoffs. They're 0-2. They're down two games to the Golden State Warriors. If you put Kawhi Leonard back in there, your MVP possibly for the year, not only for San Antonio, but potentially MVP candidate for the year if he had the year like he did the year before, that's an entire different series. So, yeah, the Kawhi Leonard quad injury, bizarre, can't figure it out. Orbital fracture, which on the list of injuries, I know you don't necessarily, they're totally different, but it's a pretty right. big injury. I mean, it's life-threatening, put it that way. No one's died of a quad injury. People have died of orbital fractures, facial fractures for sure. So the fact that he's coming back with a mask and goggles is pretty amazing. I mean, I, I like you said, it's fun to see those guys that's, that want to give it all, that want to get back out there and play. But what a difference between a couple of years ago when the 76ers were dwelling and wallering in the NBA cellar dwellers, man. It's, it's fun to see them back now because they were a very storied franchise. I grew up probably like you did, you yep. know, a 76ers fan because of Dr. J, man. We love Dr. J. And then you had the Allen Iverson years. And then you had Dr. J, the Andrew Tony. You had the the Moses Malone. I mean, they were yeah. a fun team. Mo Cheeks. Yeah, the, and the, yeah, Mo Cheeks, the Iverson years, you know. You can't name any other guys other than Iverson because he kind of carried him. You had the Charles Barkley, uh, you know, made him relevant again. Yeah. Um, I think it's fun to see him. And, you know, Jerry Colangelo has been uh, an advisor to them and his son Brian Colangelo became the team president about a year ago, and they've had a plan. I think they called it the program, and they've been drafting all these really good players. They've always been injured and not playing and things, but, you know, everybody looked at them and thought, man, you got Ben Simmons, you got Embiid, you got all these guys. If they can all be healthy at the same time, you guys are going to be going to be tough in the East. And the East is, I mean, other than LeBron being there, it's fairly wide open. Yeah, the Raptors are good. LeBron, obviously, he's got force. What has he been in seventh straight or something? Something ridiculous. I don't know. Eight hundred straight uh, NBA finals. Yeah. So LeBron's there, but you got to get through him. But the Raptors are really, really good this year as well. Uh, speaking of some other series out there, got teams that are suffering with injury. Uh, one of them, it's it's really been a kind of a uh, eye opener. The fact that the Boston Celtics are two and zero now against the Milwaukee Bucks. Not that the Milwaukee Bucks, I think, uh, are, are great, but the Boston Celtics are, are legitimately without two of their best players going into the season. You would have said. Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving were going to be their two best players. Kyrie yeah. Irving goes out after taking the uh, <clears throat> wires out of his uh, patellar fracture, having another surgery on his knee, and he's done for the season. And Gordon Hayward had the horrific uh, ankle dislocation oh. fracture. So they lose their two best players. And so you would think they would at least lose one of the first-round playoff games. No, they're 2-0, and baby. So there you go. Someone's getting a silver lining out of that injury that's coming in and playing well. So – Man, kudos to the Boston Celtics. I like to see when teams get some adversity or have to overcome some adversity. I love to see teams that step it up and you find the next great guy. A couple years ago we saw that with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers when that point guard, I can't remember his name right now, came to – Della Padova? Yeah, yeah, came in to highlight when, you know, LeBron had nobody else and everybody else was hurt and he came in and did great. So I love those kind of stories. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't – I don't. You wouldn't think Boston without those two guys could win the East, but like I said, there are good teams in the East, but it is wide open from the sense of you don't have the Houston's and the Golden States that you're all looking to have to go through, you know? Right. I mean, it seems like everybody is beatable. That's why I just go back to who's the team with the best player on the planet. It's Cleveland, so I assume Cleveland's going to win the East, but yeah. that's just my assumption. Yeah, LeBron somehow figures out a way. He's going to, you know, if he has to score 40, he'll score 40. If he has to have a 15-assist night, he'll do 15 assists. If he has to have 15 rebounds, he'll get 15 rebounds. He figures out a way to do it. Definitely, I agree that he's got the one that you have to go through. I mean, he's been in the NBA Finals forever, so obviously until someone knocks them off in the East, not a whole lot lot of talking could be going on. 
The Houston Rockets, though, uh, they lose uh, their forward. Man, this name is the hardest name of all time. Luke Richard Maba Amonte. Oh, Luke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Luke Richard. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, he suffers his second shoulder dislocation right before the playoffs start. He said he's going to try and uh, make it through this first playoff round if Houston wins, which they're up. If they can win this one, then he's going to try and finish the rest of the playoffs before undergoing surgery. He did it doing a one-handed dunk, Ferris. You know, I, you and I have obviously experienced what a one-handed dunk feels like, so we know there's a lot I of like trauma. To, I like to dunk two-handed for that very reason. Yeah, I yeah. I really one-handed now. Yeah, I don't like it when my fingers get caught in the rim. Yeah. That's no, bad. I don't, I don't like it when I dislocate my shoulder when I hang on the rim too long. I didn't need that. No, we just. Yeah, we're short guys. And so... You know, he, he dislocates his, his shoulder, and when he dislocates the shoulder, remember, whenever you do that, you're taking the ball out of the socket, and it's causing a weakening of the capsule that surrounds the shoulder, all the ligaments, capsule, the things that stabilize your shoulder. So if you do it a first time, uh, it's bad. And it was in December, so it's loose. So now he goes up the second time. This is just the second time, and he healed completely from the one in December, jams a basketball, holding on, you know, dunks it one-handed and he dislocates it again so you know it's it's very uh, courageous of him to try and come back for the playoffs it's going to be difficult in the fact that he could very very easily do that again on just another dunk just another somebody running by him and grabs him you know his arm is pulled in a different direction but that's why oftentimes you'll fix first time dislocators second time dislocators if they, it because it becomes so recurrent so anyway for him it's uh, courageous to try and go out there and play but once again, the Rockets are really good. Would he be doing this if the Rockets really stunk? Probably not. But it, I think it's cool that he's going to come out and try and do it. I, I'm 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 rooting for the Rockets. Um, I'm I'm kind of I've kind of got Golden State Warrior fatigue for a couple of reasons. One of them is because I love Steve Kerr, but I get tired of of him talking some of his political stuff because I I vehemently disagree with him, and he likes to talk it a lot, and his guys like to talk it, you know. So I get kind of annoyed by that. But I'm just ready for something new. And I love Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni is a good guy. He's a classy guy. I love the way he plays. It's fun. It's exciting. And he was so good for the Suns. I like Harden. There's a lot of Phoenix, you know, connection there. I would love to see. And a guy I know, Matt Barazzi, who coached on here at GCU for a few years with Russ Pennell. He's in that system. coaches their G League team. So I am rooting for Houston, I want to see them make it. I'm tired of Golden State. I want to see him go down. What is it? That's, that, that's my team. What is it about Dan Tony that it always seems like the offensive players under his tutelage, and you've seen him for a lot of years now, always seem to play very freely, very open? Is it just his style? Does he just say, yeah. "Hey, take off the binders and let's go"? He always seems that fast-paced, up-tempo, go get them, lots of points. Always has a big offense. What is it about him that makes him special to an offensive player? Yeah, I think he's got a, a distinct system, but that system allows a lot of creativity and a lot of flexibility, and he lets the players be the players. Where a lot of coaches want to control them and control the offense and do you know call out plays and do more control. And I think especially in the NBA with such talent and such skill, you got to just let the guys be the guys. And more coaches are doing that, but he's got a really good system to move the ball to space. Um, it's just a very successful system if he's got a good point guard. And now James Harden is kind of the point forward, is picking up where Steve. Nash left off, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just a fun system to play, and they like to shoot the three. They like to sh- get the shots up fast. I love their style. I like that style of watching it. So, uh, yeah, I hope he keeps it up. I hope the Rockets go a long ways. Hey, when we come back, we're going to be interviewing Homer Bush, former New York Yankee World Series champion. That and more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. 
listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Hey, if you just catch our show for the very first time, want to find out more about our show, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com. Or maybe if you're just catching our show in one of the uh, cities we're broadcasting, but your city doesn't carry our show, you can listen to our show anytime, anywhere by going to Docs and Jocks on your iTunes podcast and listen to us anywhere. That's D-O-X. N J O X and subscribe and listen to us anytime, anywhere. Hey, uh, Ferris, we are very honored to have on a good guest of our good friend of Docs and Jocks, a former guest that we've had on 1998 New York Yankees world champion Homer Bush. Homer, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, does it ever get tiresome being announced uh, or being introduced as a World Series champion? That's got to be pretty cool everywhere you go. Pretty cool, and it doesn't get old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, first of all, we talked a little bit about off-air, but you have an incredible son who's uh, following your footsteps, a great baseball player. Give us a little update on Homer Bush Jr., how he's playing and how his season started. Man, he's uh, he's playing well. Uh, he's a sophomore over at South Lake Carroll, and uh, he started off on JV, uh, and they just called him up um, about a week ago up to varsity. So yeah. he's uh, he's getting to see the speed of the, uh, the varsity level, and uh, he's have, he's enjoying it. Hey, speaking of speed, Homer, you were, uh, I think in 1998, I believe it was, you were in the top 15 in uh, stolen bases, man. Tell us what it's like uh, stealing a base off guys back in the American League. Uh, when uh, It seems to me, and this is another question, totally separate question, but it seems to me like base running is becoming a lost art. It's something that you kind of saw at the end of the 90s, but now it just seems like there's not as many guys trying to take an extra base or trying to steal a base like you did. Can you maybe speak to that? You know what, uh when Moneyball came on the scene, it kind of drove the whole speed out of the baseball. Uh, they wanted to, if a guy got on, they wanted to try to drive him in with a double or potentially hit a two-run home run. So, uh, But now it's starting to come back since offense is down and they're trying to find a way to uh, generate runs more efficiently. So stolen bases should should go up uh, you know, next year or two for sure. Well, good. Ferris? Yeah, Homer, uh, you know, I'm, I grew up in Kansas City, so Dad, Dr. Dan and I were talking a lot about the Royals run in 2015 and they kind of helped bring that back not just the stolen bases but you know always looking to go first to third always challenging the arm I mean Eric Hosmer scoring that what turned out to be the winning run off a ground ball to third you know with the throw over to first and just a more exciting style of baseball that we kind of lost there for a number of years when everybody fell in love with the home run yeah you know Joe Torre used to always say um one of the most exciting plays in baseball is the first to third on the single uh, yeah. and that um you know, so ever since, um, you know, he said that every time I got an opportunity to go first to third, I always took it. Um, the uh, Kansas City Royals did a fantastic job of opening the eyes to a lot of uh, the uh, different elements of baseball. They were free swingers. I mean, they, you know, they were aggressive on the bases. You know, right. that style of baseball, not only is it exciting, but it's also um, it's a winning style of baseball also. Right. Hey, you know, by the way, in 1999, Homer Bush was not only top 15 in stolen bases in the American League, top 15 in batting average, too. want to make sure I get your uh, due in there, make sure you get some cred there. Hey, uh, Homer, hey, I appreciate here's, a, uh-huh. here's a topic that's probably hard to talk, to, but talk about, but the Red Sox, man, your uh, arch enemy there when you were with the New York Yankees, the Red Sox are 15-2, and two, one of the best starts in franchise history, one of the best starts in Major League Baseball. Uh, talk to us about the Red Sox. Do you think they're uh, legitimately a team that's going to win the American League East this year, or where do you think they're at? You know, I tell you what, the um, 
Red Sox, they, they fill a lot of boxes. You know, they're not, uh, they can pitch. Uh, not only can they hit for power, but they also put the ball in play a lot. They have a lot of guys to strike out. So, you know, that's a good combination for uh, scoring runs on, on a daily. So I do like their chances of uh, winning the division, mainly because they can put the ball in play and, uh, and they match up. Their pitching staff match up with all the other teams in the division as well. So I do think they're the real deal. Awesome. Hey, Homer, you won your World Series with the Yankees. Then you played for Toronto. You got to just hate that question. You got to hate saying nice things about the Red Sox. <laughs> do, you still, do you still hate them? I mean, do you still have problems with them? Or does that go away once you got the ring and once you've retired and, and, and aged a bit? You know, it went away once I got out of, once I got out of baseball. I realized that, man, okay. that was a... Uh, that 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 uh, was for the players. Not you know when you're yeah. no longer a player, you tend to uh, forget about that. Because that '98 team, you did had you had no love loss for the Red Sox that year, did you? No, man. I tell you what, and uh, you know it was a, it was heightened. You know it was at the heightened yeah. part of the uh, you know the hatred for one another. But I tell you what, uh, it was exciting though. It, and that's uh, that's the truth. It was like man, you knew you were going to get some good games out of those series. Yeah, I mean, what do you think about uh, your former New York Yankee uh, colleague Aaron Boone and his uh, job with the New York Yankees now? Man, I tell you what, uh, I thought it was a good good choice. You know, he's a uh, you know he's got that uh, baseball DNA um, with all the generations of baseball at the major league level, and uh, you know he was he's always been one to talk um, data, uh, you know, big data, sabermetrics. So, and that's kind of what baseball is hitting. So, I thought it was a good a good choice. Hey, you know, people are all talking about launch angles and different styles of hitting with an upswing. Hey, you were kind of at the forefront of that. You wrote a book called Hitting Low in the Zone, a New Baseball Paradigm. I really, this is one of the first books that I read that was talking about all the different styles and looking at some of the numbers. Now, how do you hit a, a fastball coming at the knees and having a, having a good lift of that fastball? Talk to us about how you came up with the idea to write that book and how it's done. You know, I mean, I appreciate the, uh, the shout-out on that because you're right, I was – one of the first ones to kind of get out in front of that. But uh, what I noticed was that the uh, players that were consistent every year and the elite players had production from the knees down to the ground, which, you know, most players would take. Well, yeah. when I started studying the um, the mechanics and swing path that was needed, it was uh, it was an arc. So the lower the pitch would determine the launch angle. So uh, essentially all batters should be trying to do is just elevate the baseball, not hit it in the air, but elevate it for the sake of covering the zone and being able to hit in all three parts of the hitting zone, you know, the very bottom, yep. over the plate, and up. So um, that's that's how it all came about. Yeah, you know, because now we see everybody's talking about launch angle, and, it, you know, it's kind of slowly since baseball released a lot of the uh, – data showing that it, it, guys who hit the ball hard in the air like you're talking about tend to hit, hit not only for higher average but also for more power so you know this year even we've seen a slight uptick already i think last year the average launch angle was 11.1 degrees and now we're seeing 11.7 i think as we continue to see guys going through you know youth baseball now travel baseball college baseball and having the data and having information like your book hitting low in the zone a new baseball paradigm those types of things these kids are learning that earlier so i think we're going to see continue to see a slight uptick in launch angles as baseball continues would you agree i agree and i tell you what one of the most impressive things about that uh, is that the only way to decrease launch angle is to elevate the fastball consistently yeah well, you know, pitchers don't want to do that on a consistent basis right. uh, because it's the easiest pitch out of the park. I mean, there's some success up there to be had, but at the same time, 
they want to be able to use all their pitches, um, you know, like they're used to using them. So I don't. That's the reason why I don't think the launch angle is going anywhere anytime soon because it will uh, potentially make baseball a one pitch game, and I just don't think that's going to be the case. Right. Yeah. How hard is it, Homer, for those pitchers to start learning that? Hey, you can actually go up in the zone because. You know, when I grew up watching ball, when you were there, everybody was just down and away, down and away, down and away. And now we're seeing more power arms wanting to go up in the zone and, like, in on batters and jam them more. But it is a little different for some of us old guys who grew up, you know, with the pitch off the cor- off the plate and pitch down so guys hit ground balls. Correct. And uh, I was just watching an at-bat with uh, Sanchez from Toronto and uh, Stanton. Seemed like they're trying to go up and in on them. The problem is they can't locate that for a strike very well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, so they eventually get behind, and then you know you got to you got to come to Papa at that point. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> they will always pitch down to get ahead. But I think they will where they will start elevating more to try to get the strike out. Hey, you're listening to Homer Bush here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. And, Homer, you played in two of the coldest places in the country in the big leagues. You played in uh, New York City and uh, Toronto, Canada. Man, you talk about uh, it seems like this year they started the baseball season. They want to give guys more rest up early so in, early in the season. And they've been playing earlier. And so you see all these games up in Chicago and Cleveland and New York, and they just seem miserably, miserably cold. What was it like playing games you know, in New York in uh, March, April when you played? How difficult is that to try and uh, – hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball not off the hand so it doesn't kill you in, in 30-degree weather? You know, I tell you what, I don't have any way of comparing it, but, man, it sure seems like it's a lot colder these days than it were back when I played. Uh, yeah. And, see, when I played, I was in the heart of my career, so I was so hungry. I mean, I'm pretty sure I was cold, but I was really focusing on trying to have success. But with all the um, bad weather they've been having this month, it just seemed like it's a, it's a totally different uh monster when it comes to the cold weather this year yeah they look miserable in fact it's the highest number of hit batsmen all of all times at the start of season and i think in part it has to do with the pitcher just can't feel the ball man when it's 30 something degrees and you're out there trying to throw on a windy blustery you know basically still winter day that's got to be tough to try and control it especially when you're trying to ride it up and in like you're talking about it's easy to lose it a little bit and bang a guy off the forearm or bang it off his ribs sure sure and there's no way they're able to grip that ball consistently yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, guys in the uh, prime of their career, what do you think about Shohei Otani and uh, what he's shown us so far as being a, you know, a dual player, both playing in the uh, field, hitting, as well as being a pitcher? What do you think uh, you've seen from the early uh, viewings of Shohei? You know, my thoughts are all over the place. First of all, I feel like, man, the Darren Dreyfuss of the world who were elite hitters in college could have done the exact same thing yeah. and probably at the end of the day be just as, as successful. So I don't think it's really a unicorn. He's a unicorn by no means. But at the same time, I do believe that um, at some point he's going to have to choose one side or the other because it's going to become too mentally uh, taxing um, on a player to try to do both. The other thing is uh, he's going to have to get 350 to 400 at-bats to even make that whole that whole experiment uh, worthwhile because you're you're essentially taking away at-bats from – you're making them uh, um, split two, two, two players, right? So yeah. if, if he's only going to get 350 at-bats, then where does – because you're trying to get to 500, so then you're going to have to fill that void with another hitter. And if the other hitter is not getting consistent at-bats, then – it just it's going to hurt the offense uh, overall. So 
you know, I think that, um, you know, at, at some point the data is going to say, hey, this is cool, great, but, man, you've got to pick one side of the ball. And from what you've seen so far, would you pick him as a pitcher or as a hitter from just what you've seen, the short short little bit we've seen him? You know, um, it's, 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 that's a great question. And I tell you what, it's easy to say go ahead and be a pitcher because he throws hard and, yeah, he he does. and um, yeah. make the ball think pretty, you know, pretty fast. But yeah. uh, I think he has a, just as good of a um, future as a hitter. And so, um, you know, but I, one thing I can say is if I had to guess, he would definitely want to be a hitter. He wouldn't want to be a pitcher full time. Yeah, everybody wants to be a hitter, man. Even pitchers want to. They all think they can hit. So, yeah, everybody wants to be a hitter. Ferris, you have a question for Homer? Hey, Homer, you you kind of answered it, but uh, so do you think that's it's mainly the mental thing? Because I've always wondered, well, why can't a guy hit and pitch? I mean, if he's that good, I and mean, why does he have to have a DH when he's throwing? Is it? I mean, did it a lot of he didn't? I don't know, but a lot of guys do it through high school, through college. They they pitch, they go in the dugout, they take their at bat, they go back out and pitch again. Is it just the, the – it's just so heightened because it's against major leaguers. Is it the mental thing more so than the physical of why they don't want them to be dual players? You know, that's what I'm thinking. And, and i tell you what, uh, uh, physically, too, it would be more taxing considering it's, uh, you know, 100 and – you know, he's going to get 30 starts, uh, a little bit over 30 starts. And, um, yeah. you know, if he had to hit, I imagine he'd hit in 100, 120 games. That's a lot uh, because once one side of the ball starts struggling, then you're going to have to put extra time into that because you, know, you factor in travel, you factor in preparation, and now you've got to prepare for both sides of the baseball. That's pretty mm-hmm. tough. So, you know, I think um, mentally and physically um, he can do it for a little bit, but after that um, I don't think it's going to work. Well, let's talk about your former uh, team, uh, the New York Yankees. Wow, you talk about a murderer's row. Man, if this team ever starts hitting on all cylinders, it's incredible how big they are, how powerful they are, and, and the potential they have with, you know, Sanchez, Judge, um, you know, Stanton. Is, is, do you, uh, have you been watching the Yankees quite a bit, and what do you think of that lineup? I have, and, you know, I've been saying since day one, you know, I was a cas- my career was a casualty of saving metrics because I didn't walk a lot, and a lot of teams want extra base hits and home runs, but – when I got into the data, the last thing you want to do is, you know, to fill your team with a bunch of home run hitters is going to strike out a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what they thought, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I mean, you want guys that can put the ball in play and hit for a little power, like the 98 team. I don't think yeah. you had anyone on the team that hit 30 home runs. So yeah. uh, with that said, um, I do feel that uh, they kind of pigeonhole themselves because if these guys don't hit 50 and 60 home runs, then – I just don't see the run production being there at the end of the year over a full season. Right. Well, you know, the interesting thing about the Yankees, too, is they got one of the best farm systems still with acquiring all this talent. They got a great farm system. You think they might make some moves uh, with that pitching staff and maybe add a few pieces uh, down the stretch? I I would imagine they'll still be in it, you know, throughout the year. They got a good enough team. Sure, sure. You know, know, one of the things I say about, (laughs) you know, young talent and trades is that you know when you're expecting to get a player to come through halfway or last third of the way you know they're not really impacting you that much so it all starts from day one for me so um you know i'm not big on uh the youth movement you know it's potential for a reason because they haven't done anything so (laughs) at the end of the day they're gonna have to fill their roster with major league players that can start the season from day one yep. and help the team in the in the long haul because 
it's just it's too diff- it's too competitive with sabermetrics and you know being able to know how to pitch guys and know how to face you know hitters know how to face pitchers. It's just too difficult to to bring young guys and just start plugging guys in at the end of the day. Hey, we've been talking yeah. to Homer Bush, my favorite Yankee, as well as the greatest baseball name of all time, Homer Bush. Homer, <laughs> thank you so much for being on Docs and Jocks. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate thanks, it. Great questions. All right. Awesome stuff. Thank you. Hey, we'll be right back with more of your Sports Medicine Radio Show, Docs and Jocks. After You're show. listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to your Sports Medicine Radio Show, Docs and Jocks. Great to have you listen to our show. If you're catching it for the very first time and maybe you missed a previous interview like the one we just had with New York Yankee, former Toronto Blue Jay, Homer Bush, you can go back and catch that interview at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Or you can go to our iTunes podcast, download it there, and listen to our show anytime, anywhere, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Subscribe and listen to us. Hey, uh, joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grain Canyon University. I'm a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Hey, Ferris, I thought uh, the interview with Homer Bush was a lot of fun. I met Homer. Uh, his son does uh, select travel ball, youth baseball, so I had the privilege of meeting him. That's one of the, my favorite things is uh, – I can't stand going to uh, events and not speaking to the other parents because a lot of times, for whatever reason, everybody kind of keeps to themselves and they just watch their kid and they just do it. I'd like to meet people. And I didn't know Homer was Homer Bush. I didn't know who that's who he was. And, and someone, uh, after I got done talking to him for about, I probably chatted him up for an hour, hour and a half, asked him questions. He acted like he knew about baseball. He said he used to play. He didn't tell me who for. And, and uh, someone goes, you know, that he was a New York Yankee named Homer Bush. I was like, oh. Yeah, I kind of caught his name at the beginning. You know, I'm not, you know, when you introduce yourself, sometimes you don't always catch someone's name, and then it's too late into the conversation. You can't go back and ask their name again. I kind of vaguely remembered him saying Homer, thinking that's funny. It's like the Iliad or whatever. And then, uh, and then it was Homer Bush. He didn't have the ring on? He didn't have the big ring on? Man, never never threw out I was a former big leaguer, never threw out that he was a World Series champion, never threw out a I've got a ring vibe. He was the most humble, friendly, uh, cool dude. Uh, I, I've I've ever met at one of those events. I mean, as far as all the dads I've talked to, he'd be in the top five all-time friendliest. And another one like that was Darren Woodson. The same thing. I just ran into him and started talking to him. His son was playing. Same thing. It's just like almost the bigger the star they are, the friendlier they are. It was a it was a great experience. Yeah, I don't know what that feels like to be so big. You don't have. I I would have T-shirts made. <laughs> I'm Homer Bush. I won a World in ninety World Series in ninety eight with the Yankees. I'd wear it all the time. Yeah, I might get one made just saying I'm Homer Bush's friend. He's a former World Series I champion in 1998. Yes. Yeah, we should make those. That's how cool he was because he was that cool. I would wear that shirt if someone made that shirt for me. But he does have a book. I want to throw that out there. But it's uh, Hitting Low in the Zone, A New Baseball Paradigm. I read it uh, after I found out he had that book, and, and I met him. And, and, man, it was a great book. It talked a lot a lot about launch angle and all that kind of stuff before that was even like a cool phrase. It's like uh, Dolly Parton, I was I was country before country was cool, or maybe that was a judge. I don't know. But whoever Is that said, Dolly Parton? Yeah, I think it was Dolly Parton. Wasn't it? Oh, country, it, I, the judge country sounds right. Was I was cool. There you go. Got that? So anyway, but that's why uh, that's why <laughs> yeah, that's why Homer Bush was before the launch angle really came out. That term he was he was already talking about. So great book, hitting low in the zone, a new baseball paradigm. Homer Bush, but good interview. I like Homer. What do you think? Yeah, I like Homer. I had a question for you. So he played more years with the Jays, but he yeah. won his World Series with the Yankees. So you, I mean, you always it, we have this debate when guys go into the Hall of Fame. You identify him. I mean, Andy Stanko has played more years with other teams than the Yankees, but you identify him as a former New York Yankee. Is that because that's just how you remember him? That's what was on TV, or is it because the Yankees are a bigger-name team? Yankees but we always think of him team. as, oh, Homer Bush, Yankee. 
but he played more years with the Jays and had better years with the Jays. I'm going to give you a name. You tell me the first team you think of when you hear this name. Reggie Jackson. Oakland A's. No, whatever. Stop being, stop being stubborn. <laughs> Dave Winfield. You obviously know you're going to say Padres. Padres. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Immediately you think of Jackson, you think of Winfield because they were a Yankee. You saw them in pinstripes. They were the bigger That's name. That's when they did their, yeah, yeah. They did their big stuff. Obviously both yeah, those guys played probably. longer with other teams. I mean, you would would you think of you know Reggie Jackson as a, an Oakland A or a California Angel? No, you think it was a New York Yankee. Dave Winfield played a long, illustrious career before he became a Yankee with the Padres. But no I'm going to give you a name. Padres. Yeah. Albert Pujols. Same as Cardinal forever. <laughs> Lou Brock. <laughs> I, don't even tell the other. Don't even say the other name of the team he played for. Do you even know the other team of the name name of the other team he played for? Do you even know? Wasn't he a Cubby? Oh, you did it! I told you not to, and you went ahead and did it. Why'd you do that? that well, I, I did it as a question. I'm a Cardinals fan by out there for everybody, but Lou Brock was traded for Ernie Broglio hey. in 1962, 1964, and became a Hall of Famer for the St. Louis Cardinals. They they called him a weak hitting, poor fielding. Fast outfielders, what the Cubs traded for a 20-game winner, Ernie Broglio. At the time, the Cardinals were lambasted for saying they traded away their best pitcher for a poor-fielding, low-hitting outfielder named Lou Brock, who went on to have 3,000 hits, all-time stolen base leader. It's considered the greatest steal of a trade of all time, Lou Brock for Ernie Broglio in 1964. I'm done. So it it wasn't Tammy Wynette or Dolly Parton or... The Judds. It was one Miss Barbara uh, Mandrell. Mandrell. Oh, I was country by when country crack, wasn't Our cool. crack staff, which is consists, I think, solely <laughs> Brandon Hawk today, um, it got, that, got that information for that's us. That's right. That's right. But that's what Homer Bush was to the launch angle. He was launch angle before launch angle was cool. I'm going to tell him, you said, you're the Barbara Mandrell of launch angle. And he'll know what that means because he's that good of a person. Yeah, no, he won't He won't punch you because he's that good of a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, let's go uh, talk a little NBA basketball right now. And this is a sad story that's, you know, out there. You, you yeah. we all know that uh, Greg Popovich uh, is one of the greatest coaches in the NBA history. Will go down as a NBA Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. Greg Popovich's uh, wife, uh, sadly, we announced that uh, Aaron Popovich has passed away. She was uh, married to Greg. They were married for four decades. They had uh, two children, four grandchildren. And for some reason, the NBA felt needed to uh, state the, the obvious fact that he will not be coaching in game three i just want to say the obvious duh there are things bigger than basketball bigger than all sports if he's not there for the entire nba playoffs i'm completely fine with that i understand that nba playoffs are big in our world psyche or in our united states psyche but when the man just lost his best friend his wife of four decades give him a break he doesn't have to be the playoffs unless he wants to be the playoffs that's just my take I don't know why you had to put a pressure out on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's just sad, you know. I mean, I guess she had been battling an illness for a while. But yeah, they yeah said a pulmonary illness. Yeah, I'm not sure she was uh, not that – she was, I think, 67 maybe, something like that. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's had, not too old. Yeah, so. they said a chronic pulmonary disease. There are diseases out there of your pulmonary system. It's, it's your breathing, your respiratory system. Uh, pulmonary hypertension, there's uh, idiotic, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, things that cause your lungs for whatever reason not to – not to be able to oxygenate the air that you breathe. And it's really a hard, hard, devastating, sad disease process because it slowly steals your ability to oxygenate your air. And so you have this overwhelming feeling of, you know, suffocation that comes on slowly over time. 
So, you know, those are very difficult diseases to deal with for the, not only the loved one that is going through that, you know, we try and do things at the end of life to make them comfortable, but it's very, very difficult for their family to watch someone go through that. So Popovich, for whatever reason, I've just heard a broadcaster just given him the watch for the other day, has been extremely overly snarly at press conferences where he's never been like a, a you know, a, a, a ray of sunshine at any of them. But it just seems lately he's been way worse and I think that had to be weighing on his mind. I mean, it had to be, right? I mean, how do you have your wife at home who's dying of a chronic illness and not be in, the, in somewhat of a down, depressed mood? So, you know, I'm going to give him a break. Yeah, I think yeah, you hear that. You, you give you give everybody a break. But, you know, I don't, I, I don't – I mean, they're down two games to nothing. It might be over anyways. But I don't know if you even come back and even coach the team at that stage, you know, because – you got you got to think of your family, your kids, all that stuff. You know that you got to deal with, um, and just a time to grieve and think about it. You know, and go through that process. So, yep, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't coach the rest of the rest of the season or series. Here's a sports medicine angle to how they met. So, Greg Popovich was an assistant Air Force coach in basketball, and she was the athletic trainer's daughter. So he is not only you know he's probably extra friendly to the athletic trainer, and then. Found out she had a beautiful daughter and became extremely friendly to the athletic trainer because he wanted to date her daughter, and then this happened. So apparently, Brandon Hawk, our producer of our radio show, was the athletic trainer for the Dallas Cowboys and uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders. He now runs Docs and Jocks for us here. He has two lovely daughters. So for those out there who are listening, who have sons, you know, early elementary school and maybe just a couple years old and here in the future, be nice to your athletic trainer because they're probably going to have lovely daughters. There you go, Hawk. Are they dateable yet? Can they can they make no no not nothing? Oh, yeah. they're not dateable for another thirty years <laughs> for Hawk, right? I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. So anyway, that's how they met some uh, forty years ago. So I thought you were going to say because it was a coach going after the athletic trainer's kid. I thought maybe you're going to say like Bill Parcells was hitting on Hawk. I didn't know where that was. Going. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't go that direction. Yeah, that's another story for another time. Yeah, Hawk has a lot oh, of okay. Dallas Cowboy stories. Absolutely, a lot of stories. Hey, speaking of Dallas Cowboys, uh, Brandon Marshall, he's not the Dallas Cowboy we've been talking about, but there's a Dallas Cowboy angle to this. Brandon Marshall, the uh, Pro Bowl wide receiver, probably best known. Who is Brandon Marshall probably best known over the Bears? He's been with a lot of the Jets. Gosh, he's been all over. Bears, Broncos, Jets. He's been everywhere. He's now with the Giants. He is. Uh, he just failed a physical. And I'm going to talk about this, whether or not you think that's a conspiracy what? where they really failed a physical. And he has been released from the New York Giants for failing the physical due to they cited an ankle injury. And the rumor is that they are cutting him to sign the Des Bryant, the former Dallas Cowboy, formerly the artist formerly known as Des Bryant, kind of speaking in Prince terms there. That's how we're going to call him, yep. Yeah, the former artist named Des Bryant. He was uh, due six, so Brandon Marshall was due $6 million this next year. So they fail a physical, and now suddenly they don't have to pay him $6 million to possibly sign Des Bryant for $12 million is what he was asking for the Dallas Cowboys. Brandon Marshall even came back and said he was willing to take a pay cut. They said, hiya. They went ahead and let him go, kicked him out, and he is done with the New York Giants. So in your estimation, Ferris, was it the $6 million looming that they were going to need to pay him this year, or was it truly a, an ankle injury, failed physical, quote, air quotes around that? Oh, it was totally. I, I believe it was a bad ankle because they didn't want to pay him $6 million. <laughs> yeah, a combination <laughs> but, of both. You know, it's interesting. You, you get a guy who – Brandon Marshall is always one of the guys. He's he's good enough that you want him on your team, and he's really good. But whatever he brings to the table isn't good enough to keep him around for more than a couple years. I don't know if he burns out his welcome or whatever. It'd be funny to me if Des Bryant went to the Giants and then 
the Cowboys said, well, gosh, we'll sign Brandon Marshall for four million bucks. Why not? You know? Yeah. It's and very possible. Take a little swap there. That's very possible. Man, here's the other interesting story. When Des Bryant got cut, Brandon Marshall was uh, was uh, heard to say uh, there's not a place for him on the Giants roster. In other words, he didn't want him on the roster. So, Well, of course not, yeah, because yeah. he's going to take the balls. But, I mean, I, you know, you, you put on your fan hat and you go, oh, I like Des Bryant better than Brandon Marshall. But if you told me I could have Brandon Marshall for $5 bucks and Des Bryant for 12 I'm taking Brandon Marshall all day and all night. Yeah. Do you think uh, fantasy league, and you do a lot of fantasy, do you think that's uh, he still has some fantasy value? I mean, when you're talking about Brandon Marshall, I mean, he still catches, what, how many balls? I can't remember how he catch a caught last year, but do you still think he has some fantasy league value out there? Yeah, I mean, I think they both do. Um, I mean, Dez caught a lot of touchdowns and things, but, I, yeah, they're both really good receivers, and they could both still catch ball. And a lot of it depends on who's throwing to him, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, if he ends up going somewhere where there's not a great quarterback, probably not. But if he goes to – to Dallas, uh, yeah, I think he could catch a lot of balls down there for those guys. If he goes to, you know, Green Bay or something like that, or San Francisco, of course, yeah. Yeah, because wasn't Aaron Rodgers talking about where they possibly that was one of the destinations maybe Des Bryant was possibly going to go to? That'd be a great matchup. I mean, if I was a if I was a wide receiver that was looking to have another great two to three years, why not get with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, one of the great quarterbacks? Oh gosh, out there. yeah, yeah. Hey, being in Arizona, um, I'm you know I think everybody's like, oh, Larry Fitzgerald's such a great guy. He's sticking with the Cardinals. He's staying with them. At some point, I think it's kind of silly because I'm like, who's your quarterback? I mean, you had Carson Palmer, but you'd have no quarterback. If you're Larry, you're already a Hall of Famer. But if you wouldn't spend – and he's so in such great shape. If you wouldn't spend three years with one of those two guys you mentioned, how many more balls would you catch and how many more touchdowns would you get and how much more would you be considered? You know, I would have no problem if a guy did that. I think he's putting his time and Des Bryant, if he went there – I mean, Eli Manning's a good quarterback, too. He's had some bad years, so it'll be interesting to see. But um, you're talking about the Jets, right? Yeah. yeah I, I don't even know. I mean, who's going to – who's throwing him the ball with the Jets? Oh, no, he got cut by the Giants. I'm sorry. He got cut by the Giants, not the Jets. Giants, yeah. Yeah, he was with yeah, the Jets so, earlier. But. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think it all depends on the quarterback, to be honest with you, if those guys are valuable in fantasy or if they're going to have good seasons. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting year to see where these guys all end up at. But, yeah, Dez is hanging out there now, and Brandon Marshall's hanging out there now. So, two – man, if you'd have been talking five years ago saying Dez Bryant and Brandon Marshall are going to be on the market, man, they talk about bringing some money. But now both of them are kind of at the uh, – kind of on the descending edge of their careers. It's amazing how fast, you know, life speeds up. When you're talking about an NFL career, Major League Baseball career, talk about guys being veterans when they're in their, you know, early, mid-30s, and, like, that's – that's the tail end of their career. It's, it's amazing how short the window is for these guys to make their money, be really great, and have a career. The guys like Larry Fitzgerald aren't around very very long, and they're not very very common to be that good a shape like Larry is at his age. It's pretty amazing. But I think that's also yeah. why Arizona gave him the big contract. Yeah, and typically the drop-off is really fast for those guys. Yeah. It so seems- it's, it's rare. They, they catch 120 balls for five years, and the next year they catch like 30, and then they're just done. Seems like the fastest drop off is wide receivers and running backs. Running backs when they they'll be great. Uh, Terrell Davis comes to mind. You guys are you were like super studs, and then they just boom, they're just gone. You're like, what happened? Two, three years later, after you know leading the league in rushing, Adrian Peterson, you know, is another one. He had a few other things that happened that kept him off the field, but it seems like they just go to nothing. I mean, Adrian Peterson, everybody thought he was going to do great this year, and he just really had a so-so year. Yeah, Priest Holmes. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, Charles for the the Jesus. A lot of times, though, too, Dr. Dan, if you look back at it, it's, oh, they had an injury, and they made tried to make a comeback, and it didn't quite work, you know, and, oh, they came back a little bit. 
and I always wonder if those injuries are like Jamal Charles. I'm like, I always wonder if he's still he's had those two surgeries. I'm wondering if that still is oh, bothering yeah. him. You know, you're not going to say anything about it because you want to get signed, you want to play. But then it comes out, oh no, you know what? He he never really fully recovered from that. Yeah, it's both the physical and the mental side of it. We've had uh, Tracy Munton on, this uh, sports psychologist, who's talked to us a lot about the mental side of injuries and having to overcome that. So speaking of which, coming up in our next segment, we're going to have on lovely Miss Tracy Munton do the Mental Strength Minute. So stay tuned with us. We're not going to have her on, but we're going to have on play-by-play Dallas Cowboy and Phoenix Suns, as well as the NBA playoff broadcaster Kevin Ray coming up on the other side of Docs and Jocks. Listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown! Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. And hey, we need our listening audience right now to, dis- to resolve a dispute. Ferris and I were having off air. What is Mark Sanchez better known for? The butt fumble or the fact that he led the New York Jets to the playoffs his, uh, his rookie year? Back-to-back years, baby. <laughs> I would say the butt fumble. That's all I can remember. He said Mark Sanchez. Right. Mark said he got busted for performance-enhancing drugs, and all I could remember was the butt fumble. That's hey, it. there's three things the Jets have ever been famous for. Joe Navis, Mark Gassineau, and Sanchez taking them to back-to-back playoffs. And the butt fumble. You can't forget the butt fumble. It's the greatest play ever of all time, man. It, it, it lost the game. It was just so terrible. It was so terrible. But anyway, four things. I'll agree. I'll give you that. The other three are pretty good. I like Mark Gassineau. That was an, and Joe Namath is pretty cool. <laughs> anyway. But, hey, you're listening to Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Tech Sports Spine. We're coming to you from inside the Forge Abilene Training Center. And the Forge is a training center that basically you work out in a small group with a personal coach at every visit. Hey, if you ever want to find out if it might be the place for you to exercise and get back into being the athlete you previously were or an athlete that wants to take your game to the next level, you can do so by going to theforgeabilene.com and uh, find out if uh, you want to try and give it a free try. And you get a free trial, and just call us up, email us, contact us, and you can come in and give it a free try at Forge Abilene if you're anywhere within our listening audience that's close to Abilene, Texas. Love to have you part of our show that way as well. My co-host each week is Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, we were talking about this a little bit uh, off-air as well. I don't remember how we got from this topic to the butt fumble of Mark Sanchez, but anyway, Lance Armstrong settles with the federal government this week for $5 million for a fraud suit after Armstrong basically admitted under oath, uh, not under oath, admitted on the Oprah show that he had used performance-enhancing <laughs> drugs while... That's the same as being under oath. Yeah, yeah pretty Oprah much, show. pretty much. Probably more in the public opinion, probably, probably yeah, more so. Yeah, it, it matters more. Yeah. For taking performance-enhancing drugs uh, and admitting to uh, steroid use while riding under the banner and sponsorship of the U.S. Postal Service, it's very interesting how this came about. So Floyd Landis, who was a, he was caught uh, blood doping or basically using performance-enhancing drugs, and got caught and got a, got stripped of uh, a title. He turns Lance Armstrong in under basically the Whistleblower Act, saying he was using, and the whole everybody on the team was using. He was aware of yeah. it. I've just got caught and I've admitted that I'm using it. But, hey, you know what? All those other dudes, they were all using it, too. And, by the way, the U.S. Postal Service paid us a bunch of money to be to sponsor us. So the U.S. government is giving us money to sponsor. I'm whistleblowing on a federal government fraud case. And Lance Armstrong, who cheated to win all those deals, he owes money. And, by the way, as a whistleblower, I get a percentage of that money. I think he got 20%, I think, what his take of that was. And so he uh, ends up getting... Uh, settled the case settles for five million dollars. Nobody goes to court. Lance pays five million dollars. 
of the five million, uh, Floyd Landis gets a million, and Lance has to pay one point six four million in legal fees um, that was accumulated by Floyd Landis. In my opinion, because the suit was for one hundred and ten million. I think they got the number, if I read the story right, by basically taking the money that the U.S. Postal Service had sponsored Lance Armstrong and the team for all those years. They were suing him for that amount of money, and uh, he settled for $5 million. So he got off pretty easy. The other thing was there were several people that wanted to testify in this case because they just wanted their story heard. Uh, there's a famous wife, husband and wife couple that uh, came out early, early on, way before everything had broke about Lance Armstrong saying that the U.S. cycling team was uh, running amok with performance-enhancing drugs and that everybody was doing it and that Lance Armstrong was involved. Lance then went after them personally, and they were finally, they were like, hey, we get our day in court. I just want to tell my story under oath so it's out there. People know my story. Lance was So Lance's settlement puts a kibosh on all that. We'll never hear from them under oath, that is. And so they were pretty upset about the settlement. Everybody feels, from the stories line that I read, everybody feels like Lance got off relatively easy in the whole thing. So Yeah, I'm not a – I mean, look, I have no love for Lance Armstrong. He's a classic bully who got caught and bullied everybody until it was made sense for him to start apologizing. So I don't think he's ever really sorry for anything. I know he says he regrets stuff, but I think it's just – yeah, you regret it because you finally got to the point where it was better for you to regret it and apologize than to keep defending yourself, uh, which I don't think is real true. This is like Roger Clemens is the exact same way to me. So I don't really believe those guys when they say that, but I don't understand. Yeah, from 110 down to 5, he got off with a smoking deal. Yeah. And I don't understand, but I don't understand why. I don't get the case. Like, yeah, you paid him. He rode for you. Yeah, he was taking drugs at the time, but he still rode under your banner. He still, I mean, nobody is sitting there going, I'm never using the post office again because Lance Armstrong took drugs. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. Like, what was your, what was, what damages did you receive because your name was somehow attached to it? I, I, I don't get it, but it's a bad, it's a, it's a, I, the whole thing is just, just yucky. It is you know? yucky. Maybe it's one of those pages we can just kind of turn the page now, flush it, and it's like, that's in sports history somewhere, and we don't need to bring up the whole Lance Armstrong performance-enhancing drugs and the lives that were, were destroyed because of I wish you would just go I will tell you a funny story, though. Our, our friends, you know Dave McKinley and Bill Britton and yeah. um, and uh, Sean Sean Omen uh, from college, they'll get together sometimes and go to these bike races. They're like 24-hour bike races, and so they'll, can't, they'll take their campers down and stuff, and they're these mountain bike races. And so, like, you know, Dave will go out and ride, like, for an hour and a half, and Bill and Sean will be, like, in the camper sleeping, and then he'll wake them up, like, at 1 in the morning, and then Sean will take his laugh. Well, Lance Armstrong put a team that has teams that he goes out and does these things and he was at one of the events with his team and uh my buddy said what do people think of him and he goes it was really funny because he said every time he was on the bike and went around the crowd they booed from the moment they could see him till the moment he got past him and then really? they waited and he cried. oh yeah people in the biking community just can't stand the guy because he they all believed him the biking community I have another buddy who's a big biker and he was a big defender of lance because he's almost like you know aaron Rodgers did uh with uh with ryan, ryan Braun. Braun, you know he believed him. He defended him. And then you realize that guy was lying his butt off to me for all those years, and I defended him. And so it's just that anger. And so, yeah, they booed him. They, every time he came through, they booed him. I go, How, did it seem like it affected him? I said, dude, that guy's like a – he goes, he really is a machine. He goes, he just has his focus when he's competing. He goes, I bet he didn't even hear anybody, and I don't think he cares. You know, you think about the Tour de France, too. When he's over in France, it, it, they booed him to there, too, as well, right? I mean, he probably was – he's probably ridden more hours on a bike being booed 
than any person <laughs> on the planet. If you think about it, I mean, the Tony friends and over friends, they're not they're not clapping for Lance Armstrong. I mean, they're they're they want him to lose. They want the Americans to lose. So he's probably used to that. Probably makes him feel at home. And he is yeah. a competitor. The cool part of his story was the testicular cancer overcoming that. Now, yeah, obviously it's tainted by did he overcome it using, you know, anabolic steroids? Did he overcome it using illegal, you know, substances? But still, he did overcome testicular cancer, and he did go on right. and become a champion again. So that's kind of the cool story. The other kind of the cool part of the story that, uh, once again, I, I completely agree with almost everything you said. The other kind of part that was has been good for him is he has given literally millions of hours or, or dollars to looking into research on how to better people's lives. Back when they, I used to always read his website. I forgot what it's called now, the Lance Armstrong page, because they did tons of research on how to eat healthy, how to sleep better. They'd have it's kind of what we do here on Docs and Jocks, give people access to some of the world's leading experts in nutrition, in sleep, in sports psychology and, and try and bring that out to the public. And so that was kind of a cool thing he did, I thought, you know. I remember I used to wear yeah. his bracelet. I feel kinda of dirty now that I wore his bracelet, man. I didn't wear that bracelet thing. What you was don't it? still wear it. Yeah. Live strong. Live strong, yeah. Live strong was the website, yeah. So he did some good. You know, looking back it's all been tainted. You know, you can lose your character. You can lose your reputation in just a just a snap of a finger, man. When you yeah, do I, that bad. you know, I mean, look, rarely are people all bad or all good, right? You know, so, I mean, yeah. he obviously did some good things, raised a ton of money with those bracelets and all that stuff. And he was a face of, like, you know, cancer. You can survive. I'm sure he inspired millions of people. And at the end of the day, if he inspired you to fight cancer and, and you, you won it because you had a better mental mindset, you could care less if the dude was doing drugs. That's what I'm saying. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, I just, I just, I just, I hate the whole. I'll go on Oprah and I'll apologize and I'll be real remorseful. Well, yeah, you're only remorseful because your group finally said, okay, they're not buying anymore. We got to be remorseful. I, I just, I just don't buy for a minute. He's sorry he did it. I don't buy it for a minute. Yeah. But doesn't negate the fact, like I said, if he inspired you to overcome cancer and you love him. I absolutely 100% understand why you love the dude, <laughs> you know? You know, it does It does kind of shock me, the story you told me, now that I sit back and think about it. I would think of all the people who would still accept Lance would be the biking world because he was such an incredible machine. But I guess they just feel so spur- spurned because of, you know, they feel duped, I guess would be the It word. was the lying. The Honestly, lying. that community, he understands that everybody was, it's like the baseball community. We get it. A lot more people were taking steroids than we thought. And you know what? If you come out and say, I did it, I got caught up in it, I'm sorry, I, 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 just, I just did it. We're very forgiving. We're like, okay. But it's the guys who consistently say, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. And we know they did. Yeah. It's like, just admit it and apologize yeah. and move on, you know? Yeah. Uh, but they, they just, there's just something in them they can't. Like, I, I, Ryan Cle- or Roger Clemens is the is kind of the guy to me on that. But, uh, yeah, when I talk to my friends that bike, and I'm not a bike guy. Like, I, you know, we've had this debate. I don't even think it's a sport. I think it's a recreational which activity. Which crazy. Yeah, which is crazy. But it yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I think they're oh, – yeah, they're, that's great. Yeah, they got great cardiovascular and good strong legs. Good for them. <laughs> uh, but uh, the people in the biking community, um, they're, they're just like, no, it's because he lied. He lied, 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 lied. And we defended him, and now we feel like idiots. And he's never really apologized to us, like, to us about that. Yeah. yeah, it's not the cheating. They get it. They understand. Everybody's doing it. He felt like he had to. They don't like it, but they wish the sport was clean, but yeah. it's not. Hey, hey, look this up for me, Hawk, our crack producer here. So a guy who uh, was thought to have lied, and once again, he's, he vehemently says that he didn't. But Rafael Palmeiro in baseball, 
you know, he in the when the congressional steroid, uh, you know, they were looking into his whole steroid use in baseball, and, and Rafael Palmero said, "I never used you know those drugs, or you never used steroids, or whatever." He made a comeback this year. How did his comeback turn out? Remember, he is now fifty-four, and he decided to make a baseball. Major League Baseball comeback, and he said he wanted to make it out of spring training. He wasn't going to get called down to the minors. <clears throat> but obviously, I haven't seen him on a Major League Baseball roster. I never just got, a, never got an update on what Rafael Palmeiro did with his uh, trial of comeback. Because he looked pretty good overall. Do you have that information already, Hawk? Yeah, so as of February, <laughs> they said no phone calls yet for the 53-year-old Rafael Palmeiro in comeback attempt. How did he do in spring training? Did he go he out? He was for not sh- invited. Oh, he got no- invited by nobody. So he said, all he did is said, I want to go do it. And everybody said, no. Oh, yep. the Orioles or somebody should have done it. Would you have done it first if the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks would have allowed uh, Rafael Palmero to go to spring training? Would you have gone and seen him? No. No? I would have just done it just as kind of an oddity case, kind of like the old carnivals, you know, with the three-legged, uh, three, three-headed three goat or something. You know, you want to go see that guy? <laughs> I, just I mean, I saw I saw some I saw some uh, video of him, and he still has a great swing. Yeah, I, a great swing. I, I wouldn't doubt the guy could still hit the ball a little bit, but he, yeah. he'd have to be a DH. He couldn't, you know. What to say, Hawk? He couldn't do that. Uh, as a Texas Rangers fan, I would have loved to see Oh, him. that would have been the place to go because he, yes. was be- he really was beloved by the Texas Rangers. Yeah. We never had a problem with him. He just signed for the big and money. We're not that good, and we kind of need something. So yeah. it would have been a little spark. Yeah, I would have uh, actually enjoyed seeing him with the Texas Rangers. I think that would have been a lot of fun. Make it happen. That, that actually makes a lot more sense than anywhere else. So make it happen. Okay. Make it happen here. You heard it first on Docs and Joshua. Rafael Palmeira to make his major league comeback with uh, Daniel still the GM down there. Yeah, Josh Daniels. Yeah, he's not. Uh, he's not. He's kind of on the hot seat right now. Nolan Ryan taking the Houston Astros to the World Series, while Josh Daniels uh, after the World Series lets Nolan Ryan uh, go. It's just it's been a, it's been rough. To say it's been a while though. I'm surprised. I honestly have been surprised he still had his job the last couple of years. Yeah, no, he's still there. In fact, uh, Hawk and I got off a plane where he was flying into the Texas Ranger game. We uh, we got off at the same time, so. We were kind of kind of hobnobbing there in the airport. Did you boo him? No, I did not pull a Lance Armstrong boo situation. No, I did not do that. I did not do you, that. You didn't pull a Mr. Costanza yelling at Steinbrenner <laughs> when, he, when, when he called to tell him George was dead? He says, <laughs> or, you have ruined this great franchise. <laughs> or it was not like when you and I went to the Major League Baseball game and you yelled out to the guy uh, playing shortstop or whatever how many hits you needed that game from him. What was his name again? Felipe Lopez. Felipe Lopez. A- yeah, I, I was did. trying to encourage him and inspire him. <laughs> yeah, from the stands. Oh, my goodness. Hey, a sad story, too, man. We've had a lot of sad stories this week. We yeah, got, I don't like that. Hey, well, we just got one minute left. I am actually going to tease this story. It is that good. So we're going to tease this story. So uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about it. But uh, when we uh, take our commercial break here, we're going to have on lovely Miss Tracy Munton. She's our mental strength coach. Uh, remember, she's at the Mental Edge, and you can go to the Mental, Str- mental Edge Abilene if you ever want to take the free evaluation. Uh, you can take the free evaluation, and she will get back with you. All you got to do is go to the mentaledgeabilene.com, and uh, there, or you can go to docsandjocks.com, click on the Mental Edge, and uh, she will uh, send you a free evaluation. And you, all you do is fill that out. She uh, does the comprehensive evaluation, and then gets back with you, lets you know in the areas where you can improve. Maybe that's with uh, performing under stress. Maybe that's dealing with anxiety. Maybe it's dealing with a coach that you have a hard time with. All those different types of things. Give a call to uh, the MiddleEdgeAbilene.com, and we would love to have you be part of our show that way as well. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. One phenomenon I have witnessed lately is athletes that get so caught up in the pressure and performance of their sport that they actually forget to just enjoy the game. Pressures coming at earlier and earlier ages to sign or commit to colleges 
that high school and even some junior high students are almost treating their athletics like a job. They seem to have forgotten that they are supposed to enjoy their sport. Studies have shown that athlete's performance will be better the more he enjoys his sport experience. The athlete may need to stop and remind himself of the things he loves about the sport and why it brings him joy. Former LSU baseball coach Skip Bertman, who led his team to five NCAA titles from 1984 to 2001, has stated, It is critical to not let the pressure of competition become greater than the pleasure of competition. Here at the Edge Mental Strength Training, we work with athletes to be well-rounded and to not only work hard at their sport, but to remember to enjoy it. If you would like more information on this, you can reach us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, coming to you from inside the Forge Abilene. Uh, sports training facility. Great to have you listen to us. Uh, joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, we're very lucky to have on one of your friends and uh, one of our friends here on Docs and Jocks, Kevin Ray. Kevin is the play-by-play radio Dallas Cowboy and television Phoenix Suns and TNT virtual reality broadcaster. Kevin, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. My pleasure, guys. Always, uh, always enjoy stopping in. Yeah, well, tell us what TNT Virtual Reality, uh, we, it's the NBA playoff time. Tell us what, exactly what that is and what that entails on your job uh, day-to-day. Yeah, well, the, the, the day-to-day, it's, it's uh, strictly, um, you know, tied to the playoffs right now. But uh, Intel and Turner Sports, TNT, um, put together an agreement that was announced, I believe, in mid to late November. And uh, it's it's you know just like it sounds that we we do I do the play by play and it can be seen in virtual reality. So you've got to have the you know you've got to have the headset, uh, oh, the wow. Samsung VR or the Google you know Dreamcast um, headset as well. But uh, yeah, pretty pretty unique and very amazing experience. Wow, what a uh, what the future of sports broadcasting, where it's going. It's amazing. Virtual reality, watching the games, that has to be really, really neat. I'm an old guy, so that just stuns me, like, trying to figure that out. I probably couldn't figure the whole thing out, but <laughs> it sounds really, really, really awesome. So, hey, the NBA playoffs have uh, shown already some surprises. We see uh, now maybe Joel Embiid might be coming back for the Philadelphia 76ers, who in and of their – even if they don't make it past the first round, wow, a couple of years ago winning 10 games, winning 53 games this year. Now they look like they got a legitimate shot, you know, number three seed going in now getting their big man back looks like they're on the upswing yeah yeah and look this is this is a team that you know uh is going to have to be reckoned with for for you know the next several years if not longer if they can keep the the core together um you know a long process <laughs> yeah it just asked wow. the fans just how long it took yeah. but right now they're they're happy that the, the process has played out and right now they're reaping the benefits of it right Ferris. hey kevin our, our good friend uh brian colangelo is up there jerry uh colangelo is advising that squad and you mentioned that uh, they got a lot of good young talent you know doing the tv for the suns you got to see the teams up close and personal um as you look at the playoffs were there a couple teams that you saw throughout the year and you thought man i really think these guys other than the the the, the ones we think of might be a tough out well, Philadelphia is certainly going to be a tough out. I mean, I, th- this is a team that 
that I think uh, could find themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, they, they are that talented. They've got a nice mix of uh, veterans with the young guys. Um, you know, J.J. Redick is a proven guy. He has played huge for them this season. You know, getting a guy like an Ilya Silva, um, and you look at uh, Saric, the way he has played, and, yeah. and I think Brett Brown probably doesn't get quite enough credit for enduring the process. And, you know, it was a couple of years ago that uh, so many of the fans were calling for his head because of the losses piling up, but they've stayed the course, and I, I think he's a very solid coach. And uh, this is a team that, that is going to be a tough out. You know, you look at the Western Conference, and the team that I think is going to be a handful, and, and Oklahoma City found out last night, and that's Utah Jazz. Yeah. Uh, they were playing as well as anybody over the last month of the season. You know, a couple surprises out there, too. We're a sports medicine radio show, Kevin. Uh, we know the Boston Celtics lose Gordon Hayward for the season and Kyrie Irving. If you said before the season you lose potentially your two best players on the team and still go 2-0 and in the first round of the playoffs against Milwaukee Bucks, I think that's somewhat surprising. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, yeah, and not to, not to overlook Boston, you know, they played so well during the course of the year with Kyrie being there. Uh, a big majority of the season, but yeah, for for them to to have lost Kyrie basically the last you know three and a half weeks of the season and still come into that number two spot and now doing what they've accomplished through the first couple of games, um, that is that is a tip of the cap to Brad Stevens, yeah. who I've always admired and, and had a lot of respect for his ability to coach, and and I think we're seeing that now, and his you know. He has displayed a great deal of confidence with this team, and, and you know, that's bearing it out on the court. Right. Paris? All right, Kevin, I was going to try not to even bring this up, but we're, we're in Phoenix, you know. You're the Phoenix Suns guy. <laughs> um, we're mentioning these names, and we got Danny Ainge has a Suns background. He's up in Boston doing great things. We got Mike D'Antoni. He might be Houston, in the NBA yeah. Finals this year down in Houston. We got Steve Kerr doing great things up there. I mean, we got all these guys who have run through Phoenix, but they've gone on to other places. Brian Colangelo is up in Philadelphia now. I mean, do the Suns? I mean, are, are you watched them all year? They got some great young talent. Is it going to be a super long process for them? You think they got some of the pieces in place? Are you excited? What, what's your feel on the Suns? Well, yeah, I, it, it's not going to be a long process. And Ryan McDonough, the general manager, uh, said as much. Um, you know. And I think he knows and senses the urgency with the fan base, you know, eight years now without a playoff appearance. And you, you look at Devin Booker, and because of the accelerated progress of Devin Booker, uh, how well Josh Jackson has played since the first of the year, um, and the fans getting antsy, ownership getting antsy, um, th- this is a team that, that can't, you know, go through a six-year process so he has said as much we're going to be aggressive now you can say that and actually getting it done are two different things but uh if if their pursuit of a head coach is any indication uh that's a good sign uh, i think they they blew everybody out of the water with the announcement that they wanted you know to talk to mike budenholzer uh everybody had the the names pegged for the most likely subjects to be interviewed as coach Nobody anticipated them going after a guy who's got two years left on his contract because that essentially says, look, if we come to terms, 
that means there's got to be compensation going back to Atlanta. So some moves already here early on that we have not seen this particular leadership group uh, display in the past. Yeah, that's that is good to see. I, I you know being out here, you can tell the the fans are antsy. I mean, we we got the Cardinals, we got you know the Diamondbacks. They're playing great. We got the Coyotes, but this this town in Phoenix, we love our sons. They were the first ones here, and and then everybody's got fantastic memories of all those guys down at the Madhouse uh, and beyond. So so that's good to hear. Have you noticed the fan base being a little more energized maybe this season with the, the potential? It's hard to always think about potential, but to your point, there were some. I mean, there were some really bad losses this year, but there were also some moments where he went, okay, we're, we're maybe a player or two away here. Yeah. Yeah, I think, again, the, the, the play of Devin Booker and you look at, you know, T.J. Warren just continued to raise his level of play. And then Josh Jackson, you know, it was a frustrating first two and a half months of the season for, you know, their first-round pick from last year, but, uh, as, as much and as frustrating as it was those first two and a half months, those last three and a half months of the season were, you know, nothing short of spectacular. He did some incredible things, and I thought the biggest thing that, that Josh displayed is a great step forward in his maturity. Um, and that's saying a lot. I mean, you know, when, when you draft these 19, 20-year-olds, you – you have to keep that in mind. They're 19 to 20-year-olds. So uh, there is going to be a level of immaturity, and you hope that they can take those big steps forward sooner than later. And we saw that with Josh. And a lot of the credit goes to Jay Triano and his staff for staying with Josh, but also holding him accountable, not letting him get by with things, and really letting him know, look, this, this, this is a man's league. And so you've got two choices. You can either grow up, or you can spend more time on the bench. And to Josh's credit, he listened, he worked, and put together a, a great final three months of the season. Hey, Kevin, uh, in, in all your travels around and now you know working with uh, TNT, doing a playoffs, you've been doing that for a number of years, where, where do you think the state of the game is, is in, in general? You know, we old guys, we think about the salad years and all the great uh, you know matchups with MJ and those guys and, I mean, do you think it's uh, the game itself is in good shape? I do. Uh, look, it's it's like any sport; it's ever evolving. Uh, I also think that it is cyclical. But I think what we are seeing, and, and you talk to more and more coaches, and if you watch games, um, it's becoming more and more of you know what I would call a positionless sport. In that, yes, you know, you look at a starting lineup and. So-and-so's listed as a point guard. You know, so-and-so's listed as a shooting guard. But when you look at the way offenses are run now, uh, everybody basically plays every position. You know, you've got bigs who are being asked and called upon to be able to shoot three-point shots. And not a rare three-point shot, but, you know, take multiple threes in the course of a game. And so that's where, you know, you you hear the phrase positionless uh, basketball. And... It, it, it is a contrast, a sharp contrast from, you know, back in the day when you, you knew who your your true center was. He played with his back to the basket. There's right. very few of those guys in the league now. But it's just part of the evolving uh, aspect of the game. It's certainly more wide open. You know, the, the one part that is still a little frustrating for me is because it's so analytically driven that I think, unfortunately, 
some of the basic fundamentals of, of the game have been lost on the young players who, you know, are foregoing the willingness to work on shooting that mid-range, you know, 15, 18-foot shot. Everybody wants to jack up three-pointers, and yeah. that's the part to me that is, uh, is lost, and, and I hope it doesn't become lost completely. Hey, we're listening to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We're speaking with uh, NFL, NBA, NBA playoff broadcaster Kevin Ray. And, Kevin, to switch gears a little bit uh, with the Dallas Cowboys, the big news uh, this last week was that veteran wide receiver Des Bryant has been uh, released and will no longer be part of the Dallas Cowboys. Did you uh, see that uh, coming? Was it a surprise? And how do you think it will play in Dallas this next year? Yeah, I, I can't say that I was surprised. I don't think really too many people were completely surprised. I, I think there was certainly a feeling that maybe they would try to work something out. You know, I mean, it was a week after the season ended, and already the rumors and rumblings had began that, you know, at the very least, they were going to ask Dez to take a pay cut because he was a $16 million cap hit. Yeah. And Dez and his, and his you know, representatives were basically saying, uh, you can ask for a pay cut, but we will not take one. And to me, I thought with, with Dez planting that flag, he, he probably painted himself into a corner. And when you hear the way that the, the meeting went down, uh, I thought it was kind of interesting because afterwards, Dez was upset that he wasn't even asked to take a pay cut. Yet yeah. he was very adamant about saying, yeah. you know, you can ask. I won't accept one. So, <laughs> you know, not, not, a, not a big shock with his response. And certainly not a shock that the team uh, released him. I think it's also um, a a real example of the leadership as a whole there with the Cowboys. Five years ago, that's a move that would not have been made because Jerry Jones is an extremely loyal guy, yeah, right. and Dez, he's always said, is is one of his guys. He he views him almost like a son, and it's a move that Jerry would not have made probably five years ago even though it was the right move for an organization. Uh, but this is where I think you're seeing more leadership and more influence coming from Stephen Jones. Yeah. Because to me, he's the one that sat his father down, much like the whole Johnny Manziel pick that uh, Jerry Jones reportedly wanted to make. And Stephen Jones said, we're not going to take this kid. We need an offensive lineman. That's what they did. They reaped the rewards as a result of that. So, uh, Stephen Jones is, is, you know, exerting a lot more influence and command there uh, with the Cowboys. Right. Pierce? Hey, Kevin, we just got a couple minutes left. Does Des still have some football left in him? Do you think somebody will be able to meet his contract demands and get him on the field? Well, that's a good question. I mean, he, he still, you know, he still has uh, and still can make an impact. The, the problem, unfortunately, guys, uh, is that Des has not – done anything to enhance or improve his game you know when he came into the league he was a big fast physical receiver he was able to get separation from corners and drive down the field and make big plays you look over the last two two and a half years that hasn't been the case you know because of age and because of injuries he slowed down uh the corners are getting bigger more physical so he, you know, he no longer can win as many of those battles at the line of scrimmage, and unfortunately, Dez has never improved his route running. So you know, as your skills diminish as an older receiver, 
you have to find ways to to improve your game and give you know the coach and the quarterback a reason to keep you on the field. And by not doing that, he has you know limited the the kind of routes that he can win. And you know you stop doing that, and the quarterback's going to stop you know having confidence in you. And I think that's what we saw the last season and a half with Dak Prescott. Hey, it's been a great interview with Kevin Ray, award-winning broadcaster, play-by-play radio with the Dallas Cowboys, television sports broadcaster with the Phoenix Suns, and you can currently hear Kevin, more of him, on TNT's virtual reality broadcasting of the NBA playoffs. Kevin, thank you so much for being on Docs and Jocks. My pleasure, fellas, anytime. All right. Hey, we're right Thanks, back with more of your Sports Medicine Radio show after this short commercial break. Jocks, brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown! Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan, your sports medicine physician, coming to you from inside the Forge Abilene Sports Training Facility. If you ever want to find out if uh, the Forge Abilene might be the place for you to train, if you're in our listening area, man, we'd love to have you part of our, our uh, sports training facility by doing a free trial, and you can learn how to do so by going to theforgeabilene.com. Also, I uh, want to say thank you to all our wonderful guests today. Man, this is our last segment, man. We had on Homer Bush, former New York Yankees World Series champion, as well as a, a nearly a decade-long Major League Baseball player. Uh, several times led the major, or was in the top leaderboard on uh, stolen bases in the Major Leagues. And then we just had on Kevin Ray. Man, Kevin has an interesting background. Ferris, uh, my good friend and uh, co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, also a sports broadcaster. He's friends with Kevin. And now we were just talking about this. This guy has a very multi um, faceted background in the fact that he's been with the Phoenix Suns. He does TNT and NBA playoffs. He does the Dallas Cowboys. He's kind of all over. That guy has to spend half of his uh, life in a uh, traveling vehicle of some sort, whether that's plane or f- bus or something. Man, what a what a cool cool guy. Great interview. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it, it was really happy for Kevin when he got the when he got the Suns TV job. Um, and he's you know he's been doing a lot more on TNT. He's been busy, but. You know, if, if, if kids come up to me all the time, oh, I want to do what you do. I want to do what you do. Well, you know what Kevin did? Kevin basically worked his butt off from the moment he got out of college till the moment he – I mean, he still does it. He hasn't stopped for like 25 years, 30 years, you know. And that's what it takes. He just hustled. He took every job. I remember Kevin when he was in Phoenix and he was just he was just uh, running the board for, for hosts. And then he became a host. And then he started working doing the, you know, the Suns radio stuff. And that turned into doing some of the TV stuff and that – but he was just always working, you know, always yeah. working hard, always a good guy, always a positive guy. And that's what I that's what I tell my daughter all the time, too, because, you know, millennials get a bad, bad rap these days. But some of it's actually deserved. <laughs> and I just say, look, if you just show up on time, work hard and have a good attitude, you're going to go a long way in this, in this day and age. It really <laughs> yeah. doesn't take much more than that. Yeah. And Kevin sure. did it. And, you know, he was talented, too, which always helps. But a lot of talented people don't make it because people go, I don't want to spend time with you. And yeah. Kevin's a guy, they're like, yeah, you're talented, and you're good at what you do, and you're fun to be around. So, trifecta. He's always so gracious when he comes on Docs and Jocks. His uh, last statement's always like, anytime, guys, anytime you want me on, just let me know. I mean, it's just always so gracious. We kind of call yeah, him. Yeah, I, mean, I literally texted him. He's up in Indiana preparing for playoffs, you know, getting all his information. I basically texted him, and within an hour later, he's on the show, right? You know, yeah. just willing to do it. Yeah, we're going to have on uh, Coach Chris Beard. It's uh, We can go ahead and uh, – Pre, what do we call that? A prequel? Is that what we call that when we tell you what's going to go on ahead of time? A little, uh, Kevin. yeah, we'll give you a preview. We'll give preview. you a preview. Just a preview, yeah. a prequel, pre- preview. preview. 
yeah, Chris Beard, Coach Beard of Texas Tech basketball, men's basketball, who did so great this year. He's going to be on next week's show. And he uh, got caught up and had another engagement, so he's going to come on next week. And so Kevin was gracious enough to just spot on the spot and say, yeah, I'll come on the show. So, yeah, I love those kind of guys that always have the can-do attitude. And that are two, both our guests this week uh, were that. And you don't know, if you don't know the story of Homer Bush, too, Homer Bush grew up in East St. Louis. We've had him on the show previously, and he talked about this. East St. Louis – Jeez. is like uh, Watts of L.A. It's a rough yeah, not, area. I'm yeah. from that area. I'm, I'm not, not East St. Louis, but outside of there, we, we used to not stop at the stoplights in East St. Louis. That's how rough it was. So You didn't get off the freeway there. No, no, man. You didn't come back. It was, no, not East St. Louis. And that's his, his hometown, and he grew up there. He came from humble beginnings, and to talk to that now World Series champion, New York Yankee, who played in the big leagues for nearly a decade. And to listen to his story now, you wouldn't think that. But, man, that guy came from humble beginnings, Worked his tail off. He was a great football player, great track star, great baseball player who said, I wasn't going to be stopped. And it's, it's, that's a cool story when you know the background and knowing that Kevin Ray worked so hard. If you want to get somewhere in life in the sports medicine world or whatever you want to do, it, it takes time. I mean, went to medical school, residency, internship, fellowship for 14 years to be able to talk sports medicine. So you just got to put your time in and put your head down, do a grind. But the positive is you can wear scrubs anywhere, and nobody says that guy's underdressed. So. <laughs> That's true. I don't like to do that because Dr. Jack Houston, who trained me, the he's the kind of the father of sports medicine, a famous orthopedist out of the uh, Georgia area, did lots of famous surgery, trained most of the famous sports medicine physicians like Dr. James Andrews, et cetera. He was my mentor, and he never, ever liked to see you wear scrubs outside of the OR. So if you were going from the OR back to clinic to see patients, you had to get back dressed up, and he wanted you dressed up. He was a bow tie wearer, and he wore a suit and a bow tie, and he wanted his gentleman. fellows to look nice when you went back in to see clinic patients. So you would have to change. You went multiple times because sometimes I'd go watch a surgery, then I'd go back to clinic, watch a surgery, go back to clinic. I was changing clothes like six, seven times a day. Man. So And you love, you love dressing up and wearing suits and ties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ferris <laughs> is saying that uh, with a little sarcasm because he knows me. So, but yeah, no, I do not like to do that. But I don't like to wear scrubs outside because I feel like I do a disservice to Doctor Houston every time I do it. He's kind of a little bit of a father figure to me. So they're comfortable though, right? Not really, man, because I don't have they're any not? rear end, and so they slide down oh. on me, man. I can't keep them tied. It's just a weird That's deal, a little man. Too yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can't wear I can't wear scrubs right. It's just so weird. Anyway, we digress. Back to that, your Grand Canyon University Antelopes, man. Give us a little update on where the baseball program is and what they're doing uh, right now with uh, your sports broadcasting. What are the, uh, what's GCU doing? Well, I think right now the baseball team is freezing their uh, rears off. They're in Illinois, Champaign, to play yeah. Woo, cold the right fighting now. Illini. Who the Illini, I think they've, they've been cracking the top 25. Um, you know, really good Big Ten team. But, yeah, they're, they're up there. We've seen it in MLB where it's just been horrible cold weather. Yes, uh, terrible. Cancellations left and right. So they're hoping they can get in three games up there. But top team in the West Athletic Conference, 10-2. and two, They're 20-16 and 16 overall. Um, Andy's got them rolling. Uh, Jake Wong, their, their starter, who pitched so well against uh, Texas Christian uh, TCU. You know, that first one, he's still rolling along. Probably going to be a top draft pick. So things rolling along there for uh, GCU uh, baseball. Well, it's funny you mentioned TCU because that was the teaser that I didn't uh, tell the story of before we went to do the interview with Kevin Ray. Uh, Texas Christian University, one of the top-notch programs in all the country, and really the best yep. program over the last five to ten years, just always seems like they're, they're buying to be in the College World Series or in the College World Series. Lucan Baker, their star player, who's considered the number one prospect in this year's uh, uh, NBA, I'm sorry, the Major League Baseball draft coming up, he now is going to miss the second straight season with a season-ending 
uh, injury uh, halfway through the season, and he is mm. he was playing Abilene Christian University. Out of our listening, our show is a broadcast out of Abilene, Texas. Abilene Christian University was playing them, and uh, he slid awkwardly into second base, broke his fibula, which is the bone on the outside of your lower leg, makes up the outside portion of your ankle. And when he broke it, he also disrupted the ligaments uh, in the ankle joint itself, so he had an unstable ankle. So he got a plate put on the fibula to put the bone back together, the small bone on the outside of your leg that is a uh, slight weight-bearing bone. And then because of the ankle joint disruption, or the mortis joint we call it in your ankle, he had to have a uh, wire placed across to bring the fibula and the tibia back in, uh, in alignment as well as stabilize the ankle joint when he walks. So he is now done for the season. Man, where do you think uh, – oh, by the way, TCU went on to lose that game. They said they just lost their – basically their mojo when they, they when Luke and Baker went down with that injury and they knew they had lost him for the season with a bad fracture they lost and ACU went on to win that game 4-2 to two. where do you think uh, Luke and Baker goes in the draft now remember last year he had a, series, a season ending shoulder injury when he ran into a guy at first base he now has a season ending uh, distal lower extremity uh, ankle fracture and has required surgery he was projected to be go number one overall in the Major League Baseball draft where do you think he uh, does he stay in the top round? Does he stay in the top ten people? Does he stay top five rounds, or does he drop further than that? I mean, I, I, what do you I, think? I, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, he's injury prone. I mean, he's had those injuries the last couple of years, and 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 they're on basic kind of freak things. I I don't think in good conscience you could, but you know, I you take him really high. I think he's going to drop some, you know, and and yeah. it's too bad because. I got to see him live and in person uh, when they played GCU three games. I got to see the last couple of games. and I mean, he's impressive. And he's not just a big, thumping power hitter who just you know tries to pull the ball and strikes out with a big, long, gaping swing. We see those guys in college all the time. When a good pitcher gets a hold of them, they just make them look silly. But the bad pitchers throwing fastballs that don't move, they hit them 500 feet. And everybody goes, oh, my gosh, that guy's incredible. But they're not going to project to the next level. I talked to Andy Stanklitz about it, too, to, to verify what I was seeing. He said, Baker is such a good hitter. He's so strong, and he's smart enough to try to stay up the middle of the field. His swing is compact, and he goes up the middle because he's so strong. If he gets a hold of the ball, he's, he's going to drive it. And so I said, do you think he projects at the next level? He said, oh, absolutely. He said, this guy, this guy he got, doesn't have the holes in his swing you need to fix. He's going to be a next-level guy. But can he stay healthy? I don't know. I mean, what's the – What's the recovery time on something like that? You know, with a fracture, typically you give it about six weeks. With a fracture and a uh, injury to the ankle joint itself, it's going to be a you know two to three month, you know, before he's back doing sports related type activities. So you know, it's the same injury. Uh, Des Bryant broke his fibula and had the same type of injury. Had, had a uh, syndosmosis uh, ligament injury, which is what the, the tissue between the bone in your lower leg, the fibula, which is on the outer, and the tibia on the inside. There's a piece of tissue that kind of holds them together and stabilizes them. We call that your syndosmosis. Uh, that's what he disrupted. And he was back playing in, a, in, in about two to three months. So can he come back uh, you know, healthy next year? Absolutely. Will he be ready for rookie ball after the draft? Probably not. So he's got a little bit of uh, you know recovery. You know, college baseball doesn't get done until, what, June, July type time frame. So. Yeah. I mean, usually you get drafted in June and you report, you know, I mean, if you're not in the World Series, you report to short A Immediately, what, yeah. in July, right? Yeah. I mean, you're you're on a bus. So if you do draft him, he's probably not playing until winter ball, right? Yeah. I mean, but but you could probably get him into your into your spring training facility and, and you could take over. the. Re- that, to me, is the reason that if he does get drafted high enough, you would forego your senior year because if you're a senior, you have zero 
um, zero. Um, you know, and you can't you can't negotiate at all because they know you have no other option but to go pro. If you're a junior, you got a little bit of negotiation because you can say I'll just go back to school. But to me, I'm sure TCU's got fantastic medical facilities. But if you get drafted high by you know the Dodgers, or the Cardinals, whatever, you're going to get top notch medical train. You know, people looking at you, helping you rehab. They'll probably send you to their spring training facility. You're going to be in a great area at the major league spring training facility. You know, doing your rehab and stuff. And knowing you're going to get back up and running and playing in winter. If you come back to college, you're not going to play summer ball. You might, you'll probably be ready to play some fall ball, but it's a, it's a reduced schedule in Division One. So, yeah. it actually makes more sense for him if he can get somebody to draft him at a decent decent area to go pro, so he can get back training and playing in you know November December. Right. And right. That seems like the timetable, right? Probably. I mean, yeah, I would say winter ball would be definitely reasonable and an expect expectation that he'd be back playing by that time. So. Yeah, it's just sad to see. He it. was impressive. I when we yeah. saw him, I was like, "Wow, this kid's legit, man." Yeah, he's so I big. See why they were salivating? He's just so about freaking him. big, man. He's just giant. So, yeah. So anyway, it's sad. TCU currently sits nineteen and fourteen, six and five in conference, fourth place in the Big Twelve, which you know would be a good season for just about anybody else. But TCU, you know, feels like it's a little bit of a down year for them. Yeah, so. they're not even the top twenty-five I know. anymore. Even baseball, I know. it's like it's just shock. Yeah, it is a shock. Got, it's been so long. Too. Yeah. So it's been so long since they haven't been in the top 25. You almost expect every time you turn on the top 25 or look at it week to week over these last five years than to be ranked to the top five for sure. Hey, I do hey, want to last get... thing. I'll... Oh, oh sorry. I was going to say one last thing. D1 Baseball does their projections throughout their, their field of 64. Had GCU as the number four seed playing the number one seed, Texas Tech at the Lubbock region. Wow. Along with Dallas Baptist and Wichita State, how cool of a regional oh, would that be? Wow, that is that is amazing. Yeah, would you be coming out and broadcasting that one? <clears throat> would you travel I to GCU? Would, I don't think we would broadcast, but I think I might come out because I think you'd come to it. I oh, think absolutely! Would, I think Deuce would come down and check it out. You know, yeah, that's so cool. Kind of, a, it'd be a lot. It'd be a lot of fun to get everybody together. Oh, Ron and, Wolforth, and, our good friend of the Texas Baseball Ranch, whose sons on Dallas Baptist would be there. Tim Tadlock, who we've had on the radio show before. It would be a lot of fun, man. Andy Stankwitz. We could have a roundtable with the coaches. Oh, that would be so cool. Yeah, let's make that happen. Just make that happen. All hey, right. I want to give a little preview on next week's show, man. You don't. I've already told you Chris Beard, our uh, Texas Tech men's basketball coach, is hopefully going to be on next week. Also going to be having on Dr. Jake Van Landingham. And Dr. Van Landingham is working on a new experimental drug that is going to potentially be coming to the market that decreases brain swelling post-concussion. So just imagine that. If you can take this drug, Prevacus is called, and it decreases your swelling post-concussion, it can help with, like, you know, youth traumatic brain injuries or concussions in football and put a, you know, stop the progression of these long-term injuries we see from chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is the consequence of long-term brain injuries. So we're talking to Dr. Jake Van Landingham. Really, really excited about that interview. It's one of the things we maybe have talked more about than anything else on Docs and Jocks is all the long-term injuries with concussions. Speaking of which, Ferris, NFL has banned now 10 previously accepted helmets, saying that they are no longer acceptable, they don't meet safety criteria. The unique part of that is they're grandfathering in those helmets to anybody who wore one last year wants to continue wearing it, such as little names you might have heard of, Tom Brady and Drew Brees are going to be wearing those helmets. So non-sanctioned helmets uh, that have been grandfathered in. So kind of like when baseball went to hard helmets instead of caps, some guys can still wear caps as long as they grandfathered them in. Kind of weird. That's funny to me. Yeah. That's funny to me they let them still wear them if they're not as safe. Yeah, yeah. But remember, helmets are to try and prevent facial injuries and uh, skull fractures that are associated with, like, bleeding inside the skull. So they're not necessarily 
the end-all be-all yeah, of concussions because your brain still sloshes around. So even though they're getting better helmets, it doesn't necessarily decrease the concussion rate. The biggest, newest helmet that came out last year was the one, I think, what, Brian Cushing was wearing? And he had a concussion on game, opening day on the brand-new helmet. So you just don't know, man. It's so difficult. I don't think Tom Brady gets hit anymore, though. Yeah, he gets rid of the ball fast. That's one of the great things Tom Brady does, man. He's unbelievable getting the ball out of his hands. Just put him in flags, and let's go back to just the best athletes ever playing flag football and be done with all this. <laughs> hey, we, we, one of the most unbelievable things is what a great fan base we have here on Docs and Jocks. We love hearing from you guys. Remember, you can contact us at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and we really want to say thank you to all of our podcast listeners as well, man, our subscriptions are going up and our podcast viewership has gone crazy. So thank you for being a part of our show that way as well. Hey, remember, if you ever have a guest that you would like us to have on, maybe you've had some great story, sports medicine story, or someone who overcame an injury, man, we'd love to have you be part of our show that way as well. Docsandjocks.com, give us our name and we'll get Hawk all over that. Hey, thanks for listening to us. This is Dr. Dan and Ferris from all of us here at Docs and Jocks. So long, see you next week.